Hi, this is Stephen Guys, author of How to Be an Imperfectionist, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Stephen Guys. Stephen Guys is an international best-selling author, blogger, and entrepreneur. His books, including the bestsellers, Mini Habits, and Elastic Habits, are read in 21 different languages. He loves psychology, cats, and basketball, which completely defines him as a person. Stephen lives in Orlando, Florida, and is here to talk about his book, How to Be an Imperfectionist, The New Way to Self-Acceptance, Fearless Living, and Freedom from per- Perfectionism. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, Bill. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, Stephen, who was someone who influenced or inspired you? I knew a psychologist couple growing up, and they introduced me to a lot of concepts that I would never learn from my parents or from school. Just a brief example, have you ever heard of the hot seat? (laughs) Yes. So for those who don't know about what that is, it's one person sits in a chair and they're surrounded by hopefully close friends. And it sounds really simple, but the people surrounding the person in the chair just get really honest with them. And it's called the hot seat because you're in the center and everyone's looking at you. They're being uncomfortably honest with you. It's amazing how nervous it makes you, but it's also amazing what it can do in terms of helping you unearth some things about yourself and have a better understanding about yourself. I, I get that. It's interesting because I think most people who participate in hot seats as adults, maybe college age and older, this psychologist couple who you knew as a youngster, what was your relationship with them? Did they do this with a group of your friends who were out playing basketball. How did this actually take place? How did this actually transpire for you as a a youngster? Mark and Sissy were their names, and they are the aunt and uncle of my cousin, who at the time was my best friend. We were at his grandparents' house. It's a huge family. They have 11 kids. So we did the hot seat, and we were only like 14, 15, and their kids were only like 12, probably. So I guess we got to do it a bit earlier than most, but it is really interesting and very uncomfortable. So you talk about it being uncomfortable. Do you remember any insights you got out of that early experience? Oh, yes. One thing I found out about myself is that I can be monotone and I do that because I don't want people reading my emotions. That, That was one thing I found out through the hot seat. And I think it was Mark who said it. He was like, Stephen, why don't you inflect any tone? Why don't you put any emotion into your words? We worked through that and found out that was the reason. That was like, whoa, that's interesting. Basically, I would really filter and speak very calculated, and I probably still do it today to some extent. But just being aware about it is a good way to get started to improve upon it. When I asked around to some of my friends who are accomplished entrepreneurs and business leaders, if they could relate to perfectionism, I got a 
bimodal distribution. Some smiled and nodded as if they were expecting this question and they were proud of their perfectionism. While others said, no, not really. I asked a follow-up question and found that all of the men I spoke with could relate to the anxiety of asking a girl out for the first time, myself included. We could all relate to wanting to do it just so the answer would be yes, of course. Women, of course, we will also remember being puzzled by boys in their class in seventh and eighth grade who were normally outspoken and confident in the classroom or in sports and being completely tongue-tied as they spoke with them outside of their lockers. Do you find that everyone has an experience with perfectionism in one form or another? I do believe that everyone struggles with perfectionism to some degree and in some way. It's actually a massive topic. We have one word for it, but it can be broken down into maybe a dozen different subsets. I give five subsets in the book. There are many forms of it, and I can certainly relate to the asking a girl out version. <laughs> I do talk about that in the book. What's one of your strongest memories being affected by perfectionism, even if you didn't know the term then? Yeah, this is actually another thing I learned from Mark and Sissy. It has a lot to do with why I've been single for a long time. I would not talk to a girl because I wasn't sure that I wanted to marry her. It sounds ridiculous, but that's perfectionism. It is ridiculous. This is as a 13-year-old or something, right? Oh, yeah, as a teenager. I've never spoken to this girl, and I, I would find some reason, like some doubt. Oh, I don't know if... I could marry her. Dude, you haven't spoken to her. Maybe it was just an excuse to lean into my fear and let that win. But perfectionism was at the heart of it. Like it was either that or I know I'm not going to have the perfect James Bond opener. Just perfectionism was all over that. That's right. At that age, you really haven't worked on your baccarat or blackjack skills. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, perfectionism for adults interferes daily with our ability to make decisions, make connections with other people. It creates delays through procrastination and it harms our self-esteem and contributes to depression. Why is it so prevalent as part of our human existence and, and our common experience? That's a really interesting question. I don't know if we can fully know the answer, but I think part of it has to do with language and how we came up with the idea of perfectionism and how we've tied it to another very important thing that it doesn't need to be tied to. That thing is excellence. In my research for the book, I found so many examples of people confusing perfectionism with excellence. They think if if I am to be excellent, I also need to be somewhat perfectionistic, which is not the case. I did find a couple of celebrities who did distinguish between them. They were Oprah and James Cameron, and they did see the difference. They have quotes saying something to the effect of, I'm not a perfectionist, I strive for excellence. That's a really good distinction. I remember taking away from what you wrote is that it's also very important with perceived safety and the illusion of greatness. I think that many people confuse excellence and perfectionism in order to project in their minds that this is just going to be great. That's justifying why they're pursuing perfectionism rather than excellence. Does that seem to fit with what research you've done? Yes. When you pursue perfectionism, you end up not acting a lot because, for example, you can't watch TV wrong. Like you're just sitting there watching it. You can basically watch TV perfectly because you're passive. That's what a lot of people end up falling into because of that. 
that. Whereas if they strive for excellence, it's going to be messy. It's going to be dirty, but they can get there with effort and time. You have to endure those mistakes and you have to endure the criticism, the feedback, because no one's going to do things perfectly the first time. And that's what I was thinking of when I was thinking about this illusion of greatness, where people think, oh, they're just going to come out and think that it's talent if they do great the first time. If somebody hits a, a tennis serve and it lands in the box the first time, very unusual. However, they're going to think that is just part of their talent rather than developing that talent through coaching and practice and exercise and whatever skill or arena that's in, whether it's public speaking or leading a business or developing new products, it is failing to realize or failing to give credit to how much feedback helps shape excellence. Yeah, for sure. That does apply to so many different areas where if you have a results-based mindset, you're really going to be overly disappointed and overly excited about things. Whereas if you focus on the process of developing that talent in those areas without considering the result of each individual instance, you're going to make a lot more progress. Thank goodness for Don Hemacek. I had never heard of him. And you shared that in 1978, he wrote about perfectionism on a range from normal to neurotic with the key to where this tendency shows up in an individual's life in a particular circumstance as a continuum. And on the normal side, you may, quote, feel free to be less precise as the situation permits, while neurotic perfectionists aren't able to feel satisfaction because in their own eyes, they've never seen to do things good enough to warrant feeling satisfied. How have you found that? to play into how people relate to perfectionism in pursuing different goals that they have. Sure. I think a lot of people will claim to be a perfectionist, but they'll be on the normal side of the spectrum, which I would argue is not actually perfectionism. I believe Don even clarifies. He says something to the effect that these people are not actually perfectionists, which makes sense. It's like the motivation behind what we're pursuing things for, how we're pursuing things, it isn't really the you're in the grip of perfectionism if you have that choice. Is that right? It's, it's in order to be perfectionistic, in order to have that relationship with perfectionism, you really don't have a choice. Isn't that what you're getting at? Yeah, I would say to some extent that's true. If you're genuinely perfectionistic, I would say it's a disorder and it's actually related to some of the worst human disorders. The poster child of perfectionism is actually anorexia, which is known to be one of the most dangerous and difficult mental disorders to treat. It's also strongly connected to depression and suicide for, I think, obvious reasons. If your standard is perfect, you will always be under that standard. You will always feel bad. You'll always be disappointed. And that's pretty depressing. One of the things that I got from reading your book was that one of the most powerful ways that people have found to loosen the grips of perfectionism is changing how you define success. You talk about sometimes this killing the golden path, the perfect way of doing things. Say more about this and share an example of how it works. I have a term for this that I call the binary mindset. So to give an example, when you give a speech, you will typically think about your performance in a one to 10 type of way. Like one is a complete disaster and you pee your pants on stage. 10 is a standing ovation at the end and people have tears in their eyes. So you have this whole spectrum of disaster to glory. And that really leans into the perfectionistic mind in a negative way where you really want the glory and you really don't want to pee your pants. The issue is 
is what we just talked about with focusing on the result rather than the process, which is what will get you those good results over the long term. So the binary mindset is changing that one to 10 scale into a zero or one scale. Zero being you don't attempt to do it at all. One being you do it. So some other examples that I've actually used with asking out women, I had a rule at one point where every time I went to a grocery store, I had to say hi to a woman I found attractive. <laughs> In the book, I describe it as the most nervous high ever spoken by a human being, but it was really good. And it ended up turning into various conversations. I got dates out of it. None of it was pretty. I mentioned I'm not James Bond, but it was a win both in actually doing it. And the result was a win too, because I was in the game. I was being active instead of being passive and just thinking about what it might be like to engage with people of interest. It, it all comes down to interaction and getting out of your own mind, as you say, getting in the game, starting a conversation and just setting that criteria as something that's within your control. You didn't say that she had to say hi back. A win for you was you saying hi to someone you selected. Absolutely. There are many other examples like sending an email that you're nervous about or publishing a book or giving the speech itself is a win because a lot of people don't give speeches. Even offering or putting your proposal into consideration to give a speech, I imagine being a big first step. Absolutely. Yeah. Any forward step is a good step. What's the process like for you now in doing something like offering to give a speech versus when you first started and the benefit that you've learned? from all the research that you've done? I don't actually give speeches because I'm focused on writing books. But to be honest, I'm not very into podcast interviews, but here I am. Just because I, I think that I'm a better writer than speaker, which everyone listening to now is nodding their head, and that's fine. <laughs> I'm here. I did used to turn down quite a few interviews just because I knew I was better at writing. And that goes back to what we discussed earlier with me filtering my words and being monotone so that people can only read into what I want them to read into, kind of a perfectionistic control that I desire. That's really interesting because I think it's also a very understandable way of protecting yourself. It's that perceived safety of you having control and not letting other people in is preventing you from feeling any anxiety, feeling any embarrassment. And that's one way of doing that. And that's what perfectionism leads you to make those choices. 100% agreed. Even just being aware that you have choices helps loosen the grip of perfectionism, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, because perfectionism is the golden path. There's one way to get there, and it has to be the perfect way. But if you see a spectrum of different choices, of different beneficial properties, then yeah. Then it becomes easier. How do you teach people to go away from the golden path and design a path that will actually get them to where they're going, they want to reach. Basically, you have to change what you care about. So don't care about results, care about putting in the work, don't care about problems, care about making progress despite those problems. Or if you must fix something, you can focus on the solution. Don't care about what other people think, care about who you want to be and what you want to do. Care less about doing it right, care more about doing it at all. Don't care 
care about failure as much as you care about success and don't care about timing, care about the task itself. That's a nice summation. I think that people listening to you describe how you have overcome perfectionist tendencies in your life might be saying to themselves, maybe it's just shyness. Shyness could be one manifestation of perfectionism, but it's not all of it. Can you say more about the difference between shyness and perfectionism? Shyness, I think, is perfectionism. Shyness is a subset or a symptom of perfectionism because it largely entails worrying about how other people are going to perceive you if you open your mouth. If you do open your mouth, people are, you're not going to please everyone with what comes out. It just goes back to being willing to have that imperfection in your life, to have some people not like what you say. But the truth is, it's going to be fine if you do open your mouth. A lot of people open their mouth and maybe they shouldn't like the type of people I'm talking about. For example, see any social media channel, right? <laughs> yeah, there are plenty of other people doing a worse job than you are if you do decide to open your mouth. I think that what you're also getting at is moving that evaluation from what other people are going to say or do or react to the importance of you expressing yourself, the importance of you saying hi to someone you'd like to speak with further. It's moving it into your locus of control rather than putting it out there where you have no control of how other people are going to react. Yeah, it's the difference of focus. It's not about what other people are, are thinking about what you're saying. It's communicating with this person and adding value to their lives or learning from them. It's a better, that's a better goal than worrying about how people are perceiving it. One of the things that I think is interesting when a, a book gets lots of ratings, like you've had hundreds and hundreds of ratings on Amazon, is that people are not only writing maybe their first review on Amazon, but they're also writing to you to share the impact that the book has made in their lives. What are some of the, the more memorable messages or sentiments that people have conveyed that you can think of off the top of your head? One example is a boy named Ken. Kevin, who had a fear of the dark. So when people have this particular fear, typically I would think that they want to just wipe out the problem in one fell swoop. But instead, Kevin decided to take one step into the dark outside of his house. The way the lighting was made, there was a very clear line of light and dark. There was a shadow. So he would stand at the edge of the light and each night he would take one step into the darkness. The next night he would take another step Step, two steps into the darkness. Eventually, he was able to sit on a bench in complete darkness. And the message there is he didn't defeat this perfectly. He didn't do it quickly. He took small steps and gradually got himself to the point where he was comfortable with the darkness. I love that example. I can imagine people listening to this who've never spoken up in a Zoom meeting, for instance, setting a goal and saying, I'm going to make one unsolicited contribution and then building on that until they're having a lot of interactive back and forth and feel much more confident in the same way that this example took, this boy took one step into the darkness at a time. You can take one step forward to overcoming whatever hesitancy that perfectionism is restricting you from and reclaim your power one step at a time. It speaks to a type of perfectionism that most people don't think about, which is perfect goals, perfect aims. A lot of times we think about perfection in terms of quality, like I need to do this perfectly. But goals are one of the most prevalent examples of perfectionism because it's not good 
enough if I only exercise for eight minutes, or it's not good enough if I don't get $100,000 in sales this year. We need to accept partial progress. I love that. I think that everyone who's working for different business objectives, processes to optimize their workflow will listen to this and realize that they could just take a couple steps forward. It doesn't have to be reaching the end goal of one big step, which we know is fraught with failure and risk. Absolutely. Steven, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? Yes, sir. All right. We spoke at the beginning of the interview about Mark and Sissy, a couple who influenced and inspired you. When you were a teenager, Stephen, what's a song that you loved? Slide by Goo Goo Dolls. So why don't you slide? That's like the main chorus part. Why don't you slide? I'm not a musical person. I enjoy it, but I can't produce it. What's a tool or system you use to stay on track and productive? I call it a magnetic life management system. It's a big whiteboard with uh, dry erase magnets. I categorize my life into different areas like finances, career, health. And then I have a bunch of different magnets that I can write on and move into the active area. So it's like a, a flexible to-do list that I don't have to rewrite tasks for. So like laundry, that will always be there. And when it's laundry day, I move that into the active area. It's hard to explain. It's it's easier when you see it. What would you say is the best advice you ever received? Be yourself. Very cliche, but it's good. How does perfectionism interfere with being yourself? Oh, very much interferes with it. It makes you try to be like everyone but yourself. If you're trying to please someone else, you're going to move in their direction, be more like them, because that's what pleases people is reflections of themselves. To be yourself, you're, you're going to upset some people. You're going to disappoint other people. People. It's a risk, but so is the other way. What would you say is the worst advice you ever received? Ooh, just get motivated. Why is that that falls so flat for you? I tried to do it for 10 years with only off and on success, which is exactly how motivation works because it's based on how we feel at any given moment and human feelings are very fickle. So I just didn't really get anywhere with that. If you think back over the last six months, what's the best $100 or so purchase you've made? Ooh, good question. It was actually $300, but I bought an, it's called an Aura Ring, O-U-R-A, and it tracks my sleep and readiness. It gives me a readiness score. So it tells me like, hey, you should take it easy today, or hey, you should work out today. It's just very interesting. It provides me a lot of data about my health and lifestyle. What's your personal definition of success? I would say living according to my values is success and straying away from those values is failure. What's a particular value that you have put action or resources behind in the last week? to show that you're living by that value. Writing every day, I could say. Creating something every day. It's very important to me. Do you have a, a time or situation that helps you focus on writing? Do you have that blocked out as part of your day? I actually don't. I'm pretty weird in that I don't like scheduling very much. It's, uh, it's a complex idea of freedom I have where if I schedule too much, I don't feel like I'm free. I probably need to see someone about that. But I write 
right at any time. You talk a lot about habits. It's one of your professional areas of focus. What's And you help people be successful with the habits that they choose. So this next question is going to sound a little bit different. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure and personal satisfaction? Alcohol. I During the pandemic, I was drinking pretty heavily. Before that, it was moderate, but it got heavy during the pandemic. I was like, whoa. But the interesting thing about drinking alcohol is you don't necessarily realize how it's affecting you until you stop drinking, like for a period of, I would say, at least two weeks. And I did that and I was like, whoa. What did you start to notice after you had abstained from alcohol or reduced your alcohol during that period? It took my fitness to the next level because alcohol, it's very difficult to work out hard when you're also drinking hard. <laughs> like some days, if I had quite a few drinks, I would just have to take a day off from exercise, a day in which I would normally exercise. So all of my like my bench press and all of that stuff, I'm lifting heavier weights now because I can train. So it's been really good. And also just clarity of mind has improved substantially. Excellent. Tell me for the small business leaders listening to this, what is one area you would recommend that they address that would help them overcome perfectionism and embrace their true selves as a starting point? I would say set your expectations lower than everyone tells you to. If you read any sort of inspirational, motivational, book or blog, it's generally going to tell you to shoot for the moon, to crush the universe or whatever they say now. The thing about expectations is it's really good to exceed them and it's really bad to fall short of them emotionally. I think that's why a lot of people get stuck is we're falling below our expectations. Instead of encouraging us to do better, it often just makes us feel defeated. I would encourage any small business owner out there to to try aiming lower, to say, I'm going to do just this little bit. I'm just going to email this one person. Instead of telling yourself you have to aim for 20, just go for one and take it from there. You can always do more. That's the thing is, and I talk about this in the book. It's a floor versus a ceiling goals. They're nice when you hit them, but you generally stop because you're satisfied when you hit them. A floor goal is a starting point. It's saying, I'm going to get started and see where this takes me. And psychologically, I've done much better with the floor method than the ceiling method. And I'm sure that applies just as strongly to their direct reports, as well as the individuals who are listening to this. Wouldn't you say so? I would say so. Yes. Well, Stephen, you have really helped us establish a new floor of success with our relationship with an understanding of perfectionism. I want to thank you for sharing with us all of the different ideas and insights, starting with Mark and Sissy, your family members who first taught you about hot seats, talking about how important it is to pursue excellence instead of perfectionism. The importance of being able to have a mindset that is not a binary, how a binary mindset can really help us rather than always shooting for tens uh, on scales of one to 10. Being able to focus on the progress that leads to results so that you could take one step at a time into the darkness as you described. For these and so many more reasons, I wanna thank you, Stephen Geis, author of How to Be a Perfectionist, for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. Stephen, before we say goodbye for now, where is it we can find out more about you and your work online? My website, stephengeis.com. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-G-U-I-S-E. -E. We're going to point to stephenguys.com in the show notes, as well as your other websites, links to buy your book, and make it super easy for anyone listening to this interview 
to find out more about you and what you're up to with your writing around perfectionism and habits. So once again, Stephen Guys, author of How to Be an Imperfectionist, The New Way to Self-Acceptance, Fearless Living, and Freedom from Perfectionism, I want to thank you for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.